Let's continue our worship now as we turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 10. Are you ready for this? Genesis 10. If last week was PG-13, this week is rated G for generational. We're looking at, I know, I'm a dad. That's what I do. Genesis chapter 10. We're going to read the whole chapter. So, if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is God's word. <clears throat> now these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshesh, and Tiras. Sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, and Riphath, and Togermah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, and Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From the coastlands of the nations uh, were separated into their lands, every one according to his tongue, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba. I'm sorry, that was the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Rama, and Sabteca. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush was the father of Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kelna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went out to Assyria, and built Nineveh, and Rehobother, and Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala. This is the great city. Mizraim was the father of Ludim, and Anamim, and Lahabim, and Naphtuhim, and Pathru. Shim and Kasluim, from whom came the Philistines, and Kaphtorim. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, and the Zemarite, and the Hamathite. And afterward, the families of Canaan were scattered. The border of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza. As you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their tongues, by their lands, and by their nations. Also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the older brother of Japheth, children were born. Sons of Shem were Elam, and Ashur, and Arpashad, and Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, and Hul, and Gether, and Mash. Arpashad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Now the two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, and Sheleph, and Hazer Maveth, and Jera, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, 
Obel, and Abimel, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab. These were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlement extended from Mesha as you go toward Sephar, the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their tongues, by their lands, according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, by their generations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the great truths contained within. We just pray that you would be with us this morning, be glorified in this time. Just know how much we love you. We know you do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm ready to have the benediction. I don't know about you. No. <laughs> we come this morning to another one of the great genealogies of the Bible, or again, what some have called the biblical equivalent of a cold shower. And right on the heels of what many consider to be among the most intriguing and mysterious narratives within the first 11 chapters of Genesis. You'll remember we looked together last week at a whole new world, but the same old man. A whole new world, a new environment, a new landscape, a new opportunity for righteousness to thrive upon the earth and for the relationship between sinful man and holy God to flourish, yet an opportunity that was quickly squandered by excessive consumption of the fruit of the vine. Again, while Adam fell in the garden after tasting of the fruit of the tree, Noah fell in the vineyard after drinking of the fruit of the vine. And fall he did, but not before shedding off his clothes and being found to be naked, found by his youngest son, Ham, who, instead of preserving the dignity of his father, instead of honoring his father, he decided to uh, instead further the shame and embarrassment of the patriarch by going and telling his brothers Shem and Japheth. These were, remember, the last four men upon the earth. The entire human race was down to these four guys. A naked drunk, a rebellious son, and his two brothers, Shem and Japheth. We were down to four. Four people. (coughs) Eight people, four men. And all men, all mankind since, proceeded from one of these three sons. You remember that show, My Three Sons? Well, here we have Noah's. Three sons. And again, from these three, the whole earth was scattered, says Genesis chapter 9, verse 19. Meaning, all of us in here, every last one of us, regardless of status, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of even spirituality, come from one of these three men. Not from apes, not from fish, not from some festering pile of primordial ooze which randomly sprouted little stubby fins some 850.86 million years ago. But all people, all human beings, were created as divine image bearers. Descending, of course, uh, first, of course, from Adam and Eve, but then through one of these three men, as in an act of supernatural selection, Some 4,000 years ago, God Almighty wiped out literally every human being on the planet, all but four men and four women. Four men, three of whom would go on to have other children. They would have children of their own. 
who would have children, and then those children would have children, and those children would have children, all the way to you and me and everyone else in here, everyone else out there, and everyone else since. Ham, Shem, or Japheth. That's it. That's it. Three men whose family trees we have been graciously provided with this morning. Here are the lines of these three men, and it's not an exhaustive list. It may have seemed exhaustive during today's scripture reading, painfully exhaustive, (laughs) but these aren't comprehensive genealogies by any means. Just as the the previous genealogy in chapter 5 didn't include the names of every single child, grandchild, and great-grandchild born born in the five generations they cover, nor does this one here in 10. This is a particular genealogy. It's a specific genealogy with a specific scope and purpose in mind, namely to clearly identify the origins of the many people groups that we will encounter throughout much of the Old Testament, as well as to establish a record of the origins of the primary peoples in the Old Testament, specifically God's chosen people, the Israelites. Okay? Ultimately, this genealogy uh, it centers all around Israel, Israel's enemies, Israel's allies even. It acts as an historical document penned by a prophet of God under the inspiration of God to be remembered and read by the people of God and at just the right time. This is for just the right time, okay? More on that in a moment. First, I want to be up front with you. I can't go through every single name and give you a detailed description of who they were and what they were like, where they ended up, what their trade practices were, and the whole nine yards here. I can't do it. It would quickly turn into a lecture, an exercise in intellectual scholarship, which would see the majority of us in here dozing off by the time we got to the sons of Ham. But the good news is, I have never claimed to be a scholar nor an intellectual. So that's not going to happen. I will give you some key players here this morning, some key highlights, but no more. This will be a highlight reel of Genesis 10. Second, if you notice on the back of your outlines, I've printed off a nice little map for you. Okay, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Very good. Now, I don't want you to take this map as inspired. It's not perfect. In fact, most of these, and yes, I'll say it again, most of these are at best guesses of where these people groups end up. Some of them are legit based on actual known places described throughout God's progressive revelation, but others are simple assumptions or presumptions based on traditional or or extra-biblical historical records. Having said all that, I don't want to cheat anybody. I don't want to cheat you here if you're interested in this kind of guesswork. I've gone through many resources ad nauseum this past week. I'm more than happy to pass them along to you. Just send me an email. I'll send them to you. But if I'm being real with you this morning, most of them were riddled with words like probably, possibly, perhaps, or phrases like might be, more than likely, or so-and-so believes that dot, dot, dot. And frankly, I just don't want to go down that road this morning, so I'm not going to do it. Let me give you the highlights. Let me give you the highlights. What this chapter means for the biblical record, uh, what it means for the righteous and wicked lines from back in Genesis 3, for Noah's sons and their sons, what it means for God's chosen line, what it means for Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, the Hebrews, what it means for the nations of the world even, the church, 
Let's find out what Genesis chapter 10 means for you and for me and for our sons and our daughters even. Let's dive in here to verse 1, using as our foundation the prophetic prayer of Noah from chapter 9, verse 1. Now these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. This is called a toledoth, a record, the genealogies of, the generations of. We saw the same thing in Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations, toledoth, of the heavens and the earth. Also in chapter 5, these are the generations of Adam. In chapter 6, these are the generations of Noah. Now here we see the generations or descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in these generations, we see the names of individual persons. We see various people groups and even places, geographical locations, people living in places, which, if you can remember from Paul's trip to Athens, were all sovereignly prepared and predetermined for people to inhabit. You remember that? When he stood before the Areopagus and and he proclaimed the truth of the God of Israel, saying, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Listen now. And he made from one nation... From one man, every nation of mankind to inhabit all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, that perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. End quote. He made from one man every nation of mankind to inhabit all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. So, our foundation, Noah's prophecy in chapter 9 being divinely inspired. Our assurance, everything before and after chapter 10 being divinely predetermined. I know some folks don't like that, but that's just what it says here. I'm just reading what it says. And it was all divinely predetermined for a purpose, a specific purpose, which again, we'll see here in a moment, but not before we we dig into this line of Japheth. Verse 2.2 in your outlines. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan, Tubal, Meshesh and Tiras. Now remember Noah's words. May God enlarge Japheth. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. Japheth. The highlights of this lineage here, Japheth had seven sons. One son, Gomer, had three sons. Another, Javan, had four sons. We don't read of any of the sons of Madai or Magog, but that doesn't mean they were childless. Again, they just aren't relevant to the ultimate purpose of this text here. Uh, Some names are familiar here. Magog, for example, we'll see associated with Meshesh and Tubal in uh, Ezekiel 38, while other names are not familiar. The main takeaway here, however, is verse 5, which says, from these, the coastlands or islands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his tongue, according to their families, into their nations. These were coastal people. People who went out from Ararat to the north then spread out from there to the east and west. You can see them in red there on your maps. Uh, What is now the 
European shores from Turkey to Spain along the Mediterranean there. It's been said, if you're a Gentile today of European stock, you likely came from the Japhetic line. But again, I'm not going to get into all the hypotheses this morning. The important thing is this line went north and then it spread from there. Probably a good time to mention, however, that in terms of chronology, chapter 10 is actually a description of the result of what takes place in chapter 11. Specifically, the dispersion of peoples after the Tower of Babel. So, chapter 11 says, here's why and here's how God scattered the people uh, by confusing their languages, by eliminating the once common language of all men. And chapter 10 says, here's where the various people groups went when that happened. So, chronologically speaking, chapter 10 actually follows chapter 11. Japheth's line went north, spread from there. And note, 14 listed descendants of Japheth. Seven sons, seven grandsons. It's 14. People who are scattered the furthest away from Shem's line, yet, as we'll see, were still blessed through Shem's line. Let's move on to Ham's line, point three in your outline. We'll spend a bit more time here this morning. Remember our foundation, the basis. Noah prayed, cursed be Canaan, son of Ham. A servant of servants he shall be to his brother. Moses writes in verse six, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. Again, four sons. This time he goes into the line of three of the four sons, leaving out Put. First of all, Cush. We have to camp out here for a minute because of the descriptor of one of Cush's seven sons, Nimrod. Now, I know we have a few expecting mothers in this room right now. But if you're in the market for baby names, let me suggest you keep on moving. In fact, skip this section altogether. We don't want to see any hams or canans or Nimrods running around Lakewood. Not any more than we already have. (laughs) Me included. Me included. (laughs) I'll take a drink after that. You know, in in all fairness to this guy, however, Nimrod didn't used to mean what it means now. Now we hear of Nimrod, we think this guy's an idiot or a moron or a numbskull. You take a flashlight, you put it on one ear, and you put your hand over here, you can see all the way through kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? but these weren't the original connotations of this name. Moses, in fact, says this was a mighty man. He was a great man, a skilled man, a skilled hunter, in fact. But before we start grunting hearty amens here this morning, that doesn't mean he could uh, down a buck from 75 yards with an arrow. No, no, he wasn't that kind of hunter. He was a hunter of men, okay? He was a great hunter of men. As we'll see, he was also a great builder of cities. When you put those two attributes together, you usually get a great tyrant, right? He's a tyrant. That's what Nimrod was. Interestingly, in my extensive research, I did discover the origins of our referring to the moronic as Nimrods. Guess who it was? One Daffy Horatio Tiberius Duck. That's right, Daffy Duck. 1948 Looney Tunes short, What Makes Daffy Duck, had Daffy Duck referring to Elmer Fudd as My Little Nimrod. 
But people thought it was an insult rather than a nod to this text. Here, so they ran with it. Huh, please don't let that be the only thing you take from this message today. <laughs> I want to hear some hums in about 15 minutes here. <laughs> let me tell you, this guy, Nimrod, was no Elmer Fudd. Okay, see for yourselves. Cush was the father of Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Yahweh recognized it. This is a, a strong man. He's efficient. He's doing some major damage here. Look at the kingdoms that began with Nimrod. Verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So we'll see in, in chapter 11, he was the founder of this city which rebelled. And that makes sense. The deeper and more accurate meaning of this name Nimrod is we shall rebel. Thank you for the hus. Let's keep this going. So, Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, and the land of Shinar. Uh, from that land, he went out to Assyria, built Nineveh. Rehobothar and Kala and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. What is the great city here in verse 12, which all these other cities originate from? Babel, which would later be identified as Babylon. And again, Assyria is even listed here. This, this guy founded two of, of the major cities who would go on to be two major enemies of Israel. Right? Remember in Micah 5, right after the prophecy of a certain child being born in Bethlehem to be ruler in Israel, who's going forth so from everlasting, from the ancient days, the one who will be great to the ends of the earth. Micah says, the land of Assyria will be shepherded with swords. The land of Nimrod at its entrances. And this ruler will deliver us from the Assyrians along with most of that chapter, of course, pointing to the millennial reign of Christ. That hasn't happened yet. Well, that'll happen soon, we hope. But before this child comes, these will be the nations which God uses to bring about judgment through not one but two captivities of his people. And they aren't the only ones. Mizraim, another of the four sons of Ham, would go on to have seven sons. Now in the scriptures, Mizraim is the customary name for Egypt, Egypt, more captivity. Well, what continent, let me ask you, is Egypt on? Africa, that's right. Put is Libya, also in the region of North Africa, west of Egypt. And if you look on your maps there, you can see that a very large section of Northeast Africa is dominated by these descendants of Ham in green, but not only Africa, because you've got to keep going up. Verse 13, Mizraim was the father of Ludim, and Anamem, and Lahabim, and Naphtuhim, and Pathrusim, and Kazluhim, from whom came the Philistines, another well-known enemy of Israel, and Kaphtorim, seven sons of Mizraim, not including the Philistines, who came from Kazluhim, divinely dispersed, sovereignly scattered, primarily to the south. Okay, now we're going to get into the man whom the curse fell directly upon. Verse 15 says, Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. 
And you'll see some very familiar names and people groups in Ham's line, and for specific reason here. Again, I ask you to consider the time that this was written, okay? From Genesis 1, we made it clear that we believe every word of the Pentateuch, uh, Pentateuch or the five first books of the Bible, were authored by Moses, okay? Again, not only for the benefit of God's people throughout the ages, uh, but also for a specific moment, just for the right moment, Pentateuch, by the way, uh, namely a moment in Joshua chapter 8, okay? After the Tower of Babel, after Abraham, after Isaac, after Jacob, after Joseph, after Moses, and the exodus out of 400 years of Egyptian captivity, after the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments at Sinai, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, after the crossing of the Jordan River, after the fall of Jericho, after the taking of Ai and burning it to the ground, we read in this chapter, then Joshua built an altar to, to Yahweh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Verse 34 says that after that, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the sojourners who were going among them. What was the occasion, you ask? They were just about to go in and conquer a people. They were... They were just about to go in and take the land promised to Abraham and his descendants. What people? What land? The land of Canaan. The Canaanites. The Canaanites who already had a shout out in the law back in Leviticus 18. Remember, we went through some of the laws given to Israel last week. Laws which were there specifically because of the people who occupied the promised land at the time of Joshua's reading it. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh your God. You shall not do according to what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do according to what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes, the Canaanites. And then he gives a long list of just detestable, abominable acts committed by the Canaanites. You, you can listen to last week's sermon for more details on that. But, but let me just ask you this morning, what better motivation to go in and conquer a land swarming with enemies than to know that God is literally going to give them into your hand? You, you can go to battle with all the confidence in heaven and on earth knowing it's been sovereignly promised and sovereignly preordained for you to conquer. Why? though, because the Canaanites were cursed. They had rebelled against God. They had spurned God. They had for, forsaken their creator. Therefore, the coming subjugation, O Israel, is divinely justified. He has given these people and this land into our hands. Now let's go and take what's ours, is what Joshua is saying. Now, some will say it. I know it. There, will, there were people in the land of Israel before the Jews got there. Free Palestine. Well, first of all, the land belongs to no man, ultimately. It's God's land. It's his to give. And gave it, he did, to the people of Jacob, to the people of Israel. Genesis 35 
Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called his name Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and an assembly of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from your loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, Jacob, Israel, and I will give it to the land, I will give the land to your seed after you. What land? What? What land did he give to Abraham and Isaac? Genesis 12 said, Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. Genesis 15 says, On that day Yahweh cut a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed I have given this land. What land? From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, and the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Genesis 17, now it happened that when Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, verse 8, I will give to you and to your seed after you the land of your sojourning. What land? All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. It's Yahweh's land to give, okay? He gave it to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and their seed and their descendants. You would have to deny God's holy and inspired word to believe otherwise. So spare me with the free Palestine. Numbers 34 says, There are those whom Yahweh commanded to apportion the inheritance of the sons of Israel in the land of Canaan. And that's exactly what happens over the next four chapters of Joshua, 9, 10, 11, 12. They take what's theirs. Then they divide their inheritance among the tribes in Joshua 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. And it's all given into their hand by Yahweh himself. Interesting note, uh, Joshua 17 also says, Now it happened that when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites into forced labor but they did not dispossess them completely. They didn't kill them all. Thus fulfilling Noah's prayer from almost a thousand years before to a T, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. Well, how about his sons? Uh, Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. Heth was one of the original ancestors of the Hittites. You remember Esau took one of uh, their daughters and married her? Uh, grieving Isaac and Rebekah. You remember when that happened? And the Jebusite, who were the original inhabitants of Jerusalem, as we see in Judges 19 with the famous concubine account and uh, 2 Samuel 5. Well, Moses continues in verse 17. And the Amorites and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Archite and the Sinai and the Arvadite and the Zemurite and the Hamathite Afterward, the families of Canaan were scattered. Then he goes in to describe some of the land. The border of uh, the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar as far as Gaza. Gaza. Still conflict with Israel in, in Gaza to this day, right? As you go toward Sodom and Gomorrah. 
We'll get into some of their proud history this spring, though we're already seeing a real-time glimpse in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and uh, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. Moses says, <coughs> these are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their tongues, and by their lands, by their nations. So we see in his lineage four sons of Ham, 26 grandsons, bringing his descendants to 30, in addition to Japheth's 14 listed above. So 44, right? We're at 44. <coughs> More on that shortly. But first look at the next table, point four in your outline. Remember, Noah said, blessed be Yahweh, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. Verse 21 says, also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber and the older brother of Japheth, children were born. Now, that name Eber there is significant, which is why it's set apart. We'll see why here in, in the next few verses. The sons of Shem were Elam and Asher and Arpeshad, or Arpashad, and Lud, who are the Lydians, and Aram. Five sons. The sons of Aram were Uz. You remember who lived in a land of Uz? Job. Job. Uh, and Hol, and Gaither, and Mash. <coughs> Verse 24, Arpashad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Now, why Eber is so significant, uh, beyond the fact that it's where the name Hebrew likely came from, is that he was the last ancestor in the, in the lineage from Shem to Abraham before the division of his sons. Okay, which sons? Verse 25. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. Now, very important, when we get back to Abraham's line in Genesis 11, which this is all pointing to, this is all in preparation for, but when we get to that line, we'll notice that it starts with Peleg's descendants. This is a huge point in the genealogy because, as we'll see, Joktan's line would go on to be outside of the Messianic line, while the line of Peleg would continue in it. Okay? Division. Here in chapter 10, we see Joktan's line, and Joktan was the father of Almadad, and Shalef, and Hazarmaveth, and Jerah, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obal, and Abimael, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. Their settlement extended from Mesha as you go toward Sephar, the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their tongues, by their lands, according to their nations. That's 26 total names there for Shem, by the way. 26 names. 26 peoples representing 26 nations. Now, if you take those 26 and you add in Ham's 30, how many do you get? 56, that's right, plus Japheth's 14. Where are we at now? 70. 70 nations of people listed on this Toledoth, set on this table of generations. 70 nations which God had determined to be the symbolic representatives of all humanity that was scattered upon the earth. Again, all who come from one of Noah's three sons. But I have to ask the question this morning, which nation is missing? Which nation is missing? Which peoples is, are, are missing from this table. Israel. The Israelites. 
Why? We'll turn over to Genesis 46. You can look in your own Bibles. Don't take my word for it. You guys see it with your own eyes. Genesis 46. <coughs> Verse 26. Verse 26, we're told that all the persons belonging to Jacob or Israel who came, out, uh, who came to Egypt, who came out of his loins, excluding the wives of Jacob's son, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. Now verse 27. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were guess how many? 70. Seventy nations on the table of nations representing all the people on the earth from every tribe, tongue, and language. Every scattered nation from the Tower of Babel. And then, seventy representatives of Israel. Seven sons of Israel. Seventy sons of Israel. Why is this significant? Because, my brothers and sisters, the seventy sons of Israel are a microcosm of the seventy nations of the world because it's the nations of the world that would be blessed through Israel. Genesis 11 is coming quickly. Uh, the generations of Shem starting at Peleg are coming. Eber to Peleg, Peleg to Ru, Ru to Serug, Serug to Nahor, Nahor to Terah, and Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram. Genesis 12 is coming. Yahweh said to Abram, go forth from your land and from your kin and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wait, how many families? All the families. What families? Just Israel? They're his chosen people. No, Israel is the one through whom all of the other families, all the nations of the earth are blessed. So, Genesis chapter 12, verse 5. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go forth to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem and the oak, oak of Moreh. Now, Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, to your seed, I will give this land. Boom. There's Joshua chapter 8 through 20. Seventy nations. Seventy sons of Israel. How many elders was Moses given to serve alongside? Seventy. Why? One representative for all the peoples descending from the lines of Noah and his three sons. Not only that, but the one, who, the one to come from Israel, the ruler born in Bethlehem, the seed, the chosen seed, the deliverer, the direct descendant of Noah and Shem and Eber and Abram, one who once sent out witnesses to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. And how many witnesses did he send? Seventy. Seventy witnesses sent out by Christ to proclaim the good news of salvation to those who would go on to take it from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So, 
What's the takeaway for today? What's the big takeaway? The big takeaway from Genesis chapter 10 is that God is not only the God of Israel, but rather he is the God of the whole world. In fact, he is the gracious God of the whole world. He's gracious to all of us here this morning. Why, he has even graciously let us in on his sovereign plan by which he would bless the whole world of undeserving men, women, and children through the similarly undeserving Israelites, right? And all in order to fulfill a covenant promise that went all the way back to the garden, which came to fruition through a man named Abraham from whom would come his Christ. And he did it all by his sovereign grace alone, and he did it all for his glory alone. He is the God of the whole world, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The whole world, for this world and all that is in it, is his. He is the God of all nations. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight. for the kingdom is Yahweh. He rules over the nations. Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 96, sing to Yahweh a new song. Sing to Yahweh all the earth. Sing to Yahweh, bless his name, proclaim good news of his salvation from day to day. Recount his glory among the nations, his wondrous deeds among the peoples. For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He is more fearsome than all the gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to Yahweh, O family of the people. O families of the peoples. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Lift up an offering and come into his courts. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, Yahweh reigns. Indeed, the world is established. It will not be shaken. He will render justice to the peoples with equity. You want equity? There it is. Psalm 113. Yahweh is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. He is the God of all nations. He is the God of all men throughout all time. Every Jew, every Palestinian, every Chinese, every Russian, every Ukrainian, every American, he's the God of every black, white, Asian, Indian, Hispanic man and woman. Those aren't races, by the way. Those are slight variations in the genetic code, like 0.2% variation. So don't get caught up in all these wicked politicians attempt to divide us into groups and pit us against one another for their own gain. There is only one race, the human race. We all come from one of these three men. We're all brothers, sisters. There is only one God who is God over all, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ to whom the nations would be given as an inheritance, by the way. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. That's exactly what happens. (laughs) We'll see it in heaven. John tells us, After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation. All tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These clothed in white robes, who are they? From where have they come? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. He said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary and he who sits on the throne will dwell over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be shepherd them and will guide them into the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. They'll be in the new heavens and the new earth as well. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is, the lamp is the lamb, and the nations will walk by its light. The nations, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Revelation 21, verses 23 through 24. They were given to God the Son, to to God's precious Lamb as an inheritance, as a gift from the Father. And how did he obtain such an inheritance? By emptying himself. By taking on the form of a slave himself by being made in the likeness of men, by being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is, upon, which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the takeaway today. Yahweh is both God of Israel and God of the nations. All nations of the earth are blessed by God and blessed through Israel, the descendant, uh, through the descendant of Israel, the seed of the woman, the one who would crush the serpent's head by defeating sin and death at the cross, thereby saving out of the nations those who belong to him and were called according to his sovereign electing grace alone by building his church with believing Jews and Greeks before again turning to his people, ethnic Israel, who will be saved at the end of that same tribulation period before going into the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this earth in direct fulfillment of previous covenants and promises made to his people. And he always keeps his promises. I know that's not what the reformers like to believe, but that's what John and Micah and the other inspired, inspired writers say. So you're just going to have to determine who to believe 
in this case. But that's what they tell us. Either way. What's inevitable is the everlasting glory that is to come for those who belong to Yahweh. And my question to you this morning is, are you one of those? That's what I'm asking. Does, does that describe you this morning? We have been partakers of so great a salvation through God's blessing of his chosen people, but it, it's only available to those who believe, right? Paul tells us in Romans 9, not every descendant of Abraham belongs to Abraham. Jesus said the very same thing in John chapter 7, didn't he? Right to their faces. Yeah. Likewise, not everyone from the, the nations, not everyone from the, the Gentiles is condemned to an eternity apart from his love. You remember a certain prostitute who was part of one of the greatest uh, covert ops in the history of the world? The Canaanite prostitute? That's right. I would like... Uh, <clears throat> to invite you, if you never have, to place your trust in his Christ. To hear his call through his word this morning. To grope for him and find him. For he is not far from each one of us. I would invite you, if you never have, to place your trust in the gospel of grace, which says that he sent his one and only son to be born of a woman, to live a perfect life, to be killed, to be buried, then raised from the dead, having accomplished salvation for all the faithful throughout the ages. You can be counted among those today if you would but hear his call through his word. If you would turn from this world, you would turn toward your creator, you would believe in his promises by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Would you come to him this morning? Would you do that? Believe in this gospel by his sovereign grace alone? He bids you come. I pray and trust that you will. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please pray with me now as we have Noel and the music team close us in musical worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this text, which <coughs> admittedly at first glance through our Bible reading plans, it may be one that we tend to skim over, but you have revealed to us through uh, <coughs> your, your wonderful divine inspiration that there's so much more to this and that it has huge ramifications and implications for even our lives. We're just so thankful for your word. We're, we're so thankful that it it has the power that it's alive, it's living and active, and it can speak to our hearts, that it can form us into the image of your Son. We're so undeserving of your love, so undeserving of your grace, mercy, your compassion, but you are a gracious God, and uh, we're so thankful to be, be saved through Israel. So thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we love him. We love you. We pray this in his name. Amen.